0: Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather, and today we will be reading and discussing chapter two of Through the Looking Glass, The Garden of Live Flowers. Those of you whose previous relationship with Alice existed solely through the 1951 Disney movie, you've probably been wondering when those live flowers were going to show up. At long last, here they are. Last week's episode was a little heavy on the commentary since we were just starting. And getting some background on the story, so today I want to dive right in. When we last left our hero, she had climbed through the mirror in her house into Looking Glass House, where the chessmen are alive, and Alice can glide about without touching the floor. Creepy. She decided, rather like in Wonderland, that she simply must check out the garden. Let's see if she gets there. Chapter 2, The Garden of Live Flowers I should see the garden far better, said Alice to herself, if I could get to the top of that hill, and there's a path that leads straight to it. At least, no, it doesn't do that, after going a few yards along the path and turning several sharp corners. But I suppose it will at last, but how curiously it twists. It's more like a corkscrew than a path. Well, this turn goes to the hill, I suppose. No, it doesn't. This goes straight back to the house. Well, then, I'll try it the other way. And so she did, wandering up and down and trying turn after turn, but always coming back to the house to do what she would. Indeed, once when she turned a corner rather more quickly than usual, she ran against it before she could stop herself. "'Let's know he's talking about it,' Alice said, looking up at the house and pretending it was arguing with her. "'I'm not going in again yet. I know I should have to get through the looking-glass again, back into the old room, and there be an end to all my adventures.' So, resolutely turning her back upon the house, she set out once more down the path, determined to keep straight on it till she got to the hill. For a few minutes all went on well, and she was just saying, I really shall do it this time, when the path gave a sudden twist and shook itself, as she described it afterwards, and the next moment she found herself actually walking in at the door. Oh, it's too bad, she cried. I never saw such a house for getting in the way, never. However, there was the hill, full in sight, so there was nothing to be done but start again. This time she came upon a large flower-bed, with a border of daisies, and a willow-tree growing in the middle. "'Oh, tiger-lily,' said Alice, addressing herself to one that was waving gracefully about in the wind, "'I wish you could talk.' "'We can talk,' said the tiger-lily, "'when there's anybody worth talking to.' Alice was so astonished that she could not speak for a minute. It seemed quite to take her breath away." At length, as the tiger-lily only went on waving about, she spoke again, in a timid voice, almost in a whisper. "'And can all the flowers talk?' "'As well as you can,' said the tiger-lily, "'and a great deal louder.' "'It isn't manners for us to begin, you know,' said the rose, "'and I really was wondering when you'd speak,' said I to myself. "'Her face has got some sense in it, though it's not a clever one. "'Still, you're the right colour, and that goes a long way.' "'I don't care about the color,' the tiger lily remarked. "'If only her petals curled up a little more, she'd be all right.' Alice didn't like being criticized, so she began asking questions. "'Aren't you sometimes frightened at being planted out here with nobody to take care of you?' "'There's the tree in the middle,' said the rose. "'What else is it good for?' "'But but what could it do if any danger came?' Alice asked. "'It says Bow Wow,' cried a daisy. "'That's why its branches are called boughs.' "'Didn't you know that?' cried another daisy, and here they all began shouting together, till the air seemed quite full of shrill little voices. "'Silence, every one of you!' cried the tiger lily, waving itself passionately from side to side and trembling with excitement. "'They know I can't get at them,' it panted, bending its quivering head towards Alice. "'Or they wouldn't dare do it!' "'Never mind,' Alice said in a soothing tone, and stooping down to the daisies, who were just beginning again, she whispered, "'If you don't hold your tongues, I'll pick you!' There was silence in a moment, and several of the pink daisies turned white. "'That's right,' said the tiger lily. "'The daisies are worst of all. When one speaks, they all begin together, and it's enough to make one wither to hear the way they go on.' "'How is it that you can all talk so nicely?' Alice said, hoping to get into a better temper by a compliment. "'I've been in many gardens before, but none of the flowers could talk.' "'Put your hand down and feel the ground,' said the tiger lily. "'Then you'll know why.' Alice did so. "'It's very hard,' she said, "'but I don't see what that has to do with it. "'In most gardens,' the tiger lily said, "'they make the beds too soft, "'so that the flowers are always asleep.' "'This sounded like a very good reason, "'and Alice was quite pleased to know it. "'I never thought of that before,' she said. "'It's my opinion that you never think at all,' "'the rose said in a rather severe tone. "'I never saw anybody that looked stupider,' "'a violet said so suddenly that Alice quite jumped, "'for it hadn't spoken before.' Hold your tongue, cried the tiger lily, as if you ever saw anybody. You keep your head under the leaves and snore away there till you know no more what's going on in the world than if you were a bud. Are there any more people in the garden besides me, Alice said, not choosing to notice the rose's last remark. There's one other flower in the garden that can move about like you, said the rose. I wonder how you do it. You're always wondering, said the tiger lily, but she's more bushy than you are. "'Is she like me?' Alice asked eagerly, for the thought crossed her mind. "'There's another little girl in the garden somewhere.' "'Well, she has the same awkward shape as you,' the rose said. "'But she's redder, and her petals are shorter, I think.' "'Her petals are done up close, almost like a dahlia,' the tiger lily interrupted, "'not tumbled about anyhow like yours.' "'But that's not your fault,' the rose added kindly. "'You're beginning to fade, you know. "'And then one can't help one's petals getting a little untidy.' Alice did not like this idea at all, so to change the subject, she asked, Does she ever come out here? I dare say you'll see her soon, said the rose. She's one of the thorny kind. Where does she wear the thorns? Alice asked with some curiosity. Why, all round her head, of course, the rose replied. I was wondering you hadn't got some, too. I thought it was the regular rule. She's coming, cried the larkspur. I hear her footsteps thump, thump, thump along the gravel walk. "'Alice looked round eagerly, and found that it was the Red Queen. "'She's grown a good deal,' was her first remark. "'She had, indeed. "'When Alice first found her in the ashes, she had been only three inches high. "'And here she was, half a head taller than Alice herself. "'It's a fresh air that does it,' said the rose. "'Wonderfully fine air it is out here.' "'I think I'll go and meet her,' said Alice for, though the flowers were interesting enough, she felt that it would be far grander to have a talk with a real queen. "'You can't possibly do that,' said the rose. "'I should advise you to walk the other way.' This sounded nonsense to Alice, so she said nothing but set off at once towards the Red Queen. To her surprise she lost sight of her in a moment, and found herself walking in at the front door again. A little provoked she drew back, and after looking everywhere for the Queen, whom she spied out at last a long way off, she thought she would try the plan this time of walking in the opposite direction. It succeeded beautifully. She had not been walking a minute before she found herself face to face with the Red Queen, and full in sight of the hill she had been so long aiming at. "'Where do you come from?' said the Red Queen. "'And where are you going?' "'Look up, speak nicely, and don't twiddle your fingers all the time.' Alice attended to all these directions, and explained, as well as she could, that she had lost her way. "'I don't know what you mean by your way,' said the Queen. "'All the ways around here belong to me.' "'But why did you come out here at all?' she added in a kinder tone. "'Critzy while you're thinking what to say. It saves time.' Alice wondered a little at this, but she was too much in awe of the Queen to disbelieve it. "'I'll try it when I go home,' she thought to herself. "'The next time I'm a little late for dinner.' "'It's time for you to answer now,' the Queen said, looking at her watch. "'Open your mouth a little wider when you speak, and always say, Your Majesty.' "'I only wanted to see what the garden was like, Your Majesty.' "'That's right,' said the Queen, patting her on the head, which Alice didn't like at all.' "'Though when you say garden, I've seen gardens compared with which this would be a wilderness.' Alice didn't dare to argue the point, but went on, "'And I thought I'd try to find my way to the top of that hill.' "'When you say hill,' the queen interrupted, "'I could show you hills in comparison with which you'd call that a valley.' "'No, I shouldn't,' said Alice, surprised into contradicting her at last. "'A hill can't be a valley, you know. That would be nonsense.' The Red Queen shook her head. "'You may call it nonsense if you like,' she said, "'but I've heard nonsense compared with which that would be as sensible as a dictionary.'" Alice curtsied again, as she was afraid from the Queen's tone that she was a little offended, and they walked on in silence till they got to the top of the little hill. For some minutes Alice stood without speaking, looking out in all directions over the country. And a most curious country it was. There were a number of tiny little brooks running straight across it from side to side— "'and the ground between was divided up into squares "'by a number of little green hedges "'that reached from brook to brook. "'I declare it's marked out just like a large chess board,' "'Alice said at last. "'There ought to be some men moving about somewhere, "'and so there are,' she added in a tone of delight, "'and her heart began to beat quick with excitement as she went on. "'It's a great, huge game of chess that's being played, "'all over the world. "'If this is the world at all, you know. "'Oh, what fun it is! "'How I wish I was one of them!' I wouldn't mind being a pawn, if only I might join. Though, of course, I should like to be a queen, Bess. She glanced rather shyly at the real queen as she said this, but her companion only smiled pleasantly and said, Well, that's easily managed. You can be the white queen's pawn, if you like, as Lily's too young to play. And you're in the second square to begin with. When you get to the eighth square, you'll be a queen. Just at this moment, somehow or other, they began to run. Alice could never quite make out, in thinking it over afterwards, how it was that they began. All she remembered is that they were running hand in hand, and the queen went so fast that it was all she could do to keep up with her. And still the queen kept crying, faster, faster, but Alice felt she could not go faster, though she had not the breath to say so. The most curious part of the thing was that the trees and other things around them never seemed to change their places at all. However fast they went, they never seemed to pass anything. I wonder if all the things move along with us, thought poor puzzled Alice and the queen seemed to guess her thoughts, for she cried, "'Faster! Don't try to talk!' Not that Alice had any idea of doing that. She felt as if she would never be able to talk again, she was getting so much out of breath. And still the queen cried, "'Faster! Faster!' and dragged her along. "'Are we nearly there?' Alice managed to pan out at last. "'Nearly there,' the queen repeated. "'Why, we passed it ten minutes ago! Faster!' And they ran on for a time in silence, with the wind whistling in Alice's ears. "'and almost blowing her hair off her head,' she fancied. "'Now, now!' cried the queen. "'Faster, faster!' "'And they went so fast that at last they seemed to skim through the air, "'hardly touching the ground with their feet, "'till suddenly, just as Alice was getting quite exhausted, "'they stopped, and she found herself sitting on the ground, "'breathless and giddy. "'The queen propped her up against a tree and said kindly, "'You may rest a little now.' "'Alice looked round her in great surprise. "'Why, I do believe we've been under this tree the whole time. "'Everything's just as it was!' "'Of course it is,' said the Queen. "'What would you have it?' "'Well, in our country,' said Alice, still panting a little, "'you'd generally get to somewhere else if you ran very fast for a long time, as we've been doing.' "'A slow sort of country,' said the Queen. "'Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. "'If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that.' "'I'd rather not try, please,' said Alice. "'I'm quite content to stay here. "'Only I am so hot and thirsty.' I know what you'd like, the queen said good-naturedly, taking a little box out of her pocket. Have a biscuit? Alice thought it would not be civil to say no, though it wasn't at all what she wanted. She took it and ate it as well as she could, and it was very dry, and she thought she had never been so nearly choked in all her life. Well, you're refreshing yourself, said the queen. I'll just take the measurements. And she took a ribbon out of her pocket, marked in inches, and began measuring the ground, and sticking little pegs in here and there. "'At the end of two yards,' she said, putting a peg in to mark the distance, "'I shall give you your directions. "'Have another biscuit?' "'No, thank you,' said Alice. "'One's quite enough.' "'Thirst quenched, I hope,' said the queen. Alice did not know what to say to this, but luckily the queen did not wait for an answer, but went on. "'At the end of three yards I shall repeat them, for fear of your forgetting them. "'At the end of four I shall say good-bye, and at the end of five I shall go.' She had got all the pegs put in by this time, and Alice looked on with great interest as she returned to the tree, and then began slowly walking down the row. At the two-yard peg she faced round and said, A pond goes two squares in its first move, you know, so you'll go very quickly through the third square, by railway, I should think, and you'll find yourself in the fourth square in no time. Well, that square belongs to Tweedledum and Tweedledee, the fifth is mostly water, the sixth belongs to Humpty Dumpty, but she make no remark? "'I i didn't know I had to make one just then,' Alice faltered out. "'You should have said it's extremely kind of you to tell me all this. "'However, we'll suppose it's said. "'The seventh square is all forest. "'However, one of the knights will show you the way. "'And in the eighth square we shall be queens together, "'and it's all feasting and fun.' "'Alice got up and curtsied and sat down again. "'At the next peg, the queen turned again, "'and this time,' she said. "'Speak in French when you can't think of the English for a thing.' Turn out your toes as you walk, and remember who you are. She did not wait for Alice to curtsy this time, but walked on quickly to the next peg, where she turned a moment to say goodbye, and then hurried on to the last. How it happened, Alice never knew, but exactly as she came to the last peg, she was gone. Whether she vanished into the air, or whether she ran quickly into the wood, she can run very fast, thought Alice. There was no way of guessing, but she was gone, and Alice began to remember that she was a pawn, And that it would soon be time for her to move. Alice the Pawn! In case you didn't pick up on it in the first chapter, chess is going to be a theme of this book. Much like the playing cards in Wonderland, we are going to come across all sorts of clever demonstrations of this fact, such as the way the queen can run all over the place. She can do that because she's a queen, that's the only piece on the chessboard that can move any way it wants. If you take a peek at the John Tenniel illustrations for this chapter, you will see the Red Queen is indeed drawn like an actual chess piece. She's round on the bottom, she has a chess-like crown and all that. When Alice finally figures out that going the opposite way will get to where she wants to go, this is after all Looking-Glass Land, she gets to meet this Red Queen, who is often combined into one character with the Queen of Hearts from Wonderland in various adaptations. But the Red Queen is definitely her own woman. They walk up a little hill and see the country laid out before them. And lo and behold, it looks just like a chessboard. There are streams running from side to side and hedges going up and down that divide up the plots of land. When Alice mentions that she'd like to be a queen someday, the Red Queen gives her directions about which spaces she'll have to get through to make it to the end of the chessboard and be crowned queen. She even reminds her that pawns move two spaces in their first move. Before she gives Alice her directions, however, she takes her on a wild run in which they don't actually get anywhere. Which brings us to a very quotable quote that is useful in, oh, so many situations in life. Here you see it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. Just off the top of my head, no Googling, I can think of so many song lyrics which reference this same idea. Running to Stand Still by U2. That's about drug addiction. Uh, One Step Up and Two Steps Back by Bruce Springsteen about a failed relationship. I Can't Run, But I Can Walk Much Faster Than This by Paul Simon. I actually have no idea what that song is about. The three verses are all so different, but it definitely seems to be about the frustration of working so hard and staying in one place. Let's leave the Queen now and talk about the start of the chapter. We're kind of going backwards today, but I guess that's appropriate because we're in Looking Glass Land. Alice is trying to make her way to the garden outside the house. I've always found it funny that she makes no mention of how it's no longer winter outside. Apparently it's a nice warm day out. She's trying and trying, she can see the garden, she's walking this way and that, but she always ends up back at the house. I don't watch the show American Horror Story, but I had heard about a particular really cool scene in the first season, so I went and watched the scene online, and I saw a girl desperately trying to get out of a house, and no matter which way she turned, she ended up back inside. Well, gosh, that seems familiar, I thought. It was a very well-done scene, but you know, not exactly a new idea, since we are reading the same thing in a book from 1871. Alice is understandably frustrated that she can't seem to get anywhere, and says to a flower, Tiger lily, I wish you could talk. And, of course, the tiger lily can talk, as can all the flowers. I don't know why Alice is so astonished by this, She can't even speak for a minute. In Wonderland, she came across talking caterpillars, well-dressed rabbits, a whole bevy of screaming lunatics, and pretty much just rolled with it. But a few talking flora give her pause here. Go figure. By the by, according to the annotated Alice by Martin Gardner, Rose and Violet are Alice's real-life little sisters, Rhoda and Violet. You've met Alice's older sister, Lorena, and younger sister, Edith, They were on the boat ride when the story was first told. Those three were pretty close in age. Rhoda and Violet were 7 and 11 years younger than Alice, and this is the only mention of them in either book. The flowers are a pretty rude lot. Handy punny lot. Lots of puns. Oh my god, I just made a lot lots pun. Unintentional. The flowers don't care much for Alice's petals, meaning her hair. At one point, the rose says, at least she's the right color. I'm going to choose to think that this is a red rose and Alice is wearing a red dress because the alternative white scenario is a little disturbing. And I think I'm right because later they say the Red Queen is redder. The illustrations are black and white, so this is our only clue as to what color Alice's dress is. Like Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, published six years earlier, the 1871 Through the Looking Glass had a red cover with a gold illustration. The cover illustration was of the Red Queen. Speaking of chapter one, I have promised a few times to talk about Alice in Wonderland dates, and I think now is as good a time as any. The day of the year that Alice goes through the looking glass is fairly straightforward. We are given all the clues we need in the first chapter. Rather, British readers are given all the clues they need. The rest of the world may need it spelled out for us. In the fifth paragraph of the first chapter, before Alice actually goes through the looking glass, she engages in one of her typical running narratives, this time directed at her kitten. Do you know what tomorrow is, Kitty? Alice began. You'd have guessed if you'd been up in the window with me, only Dinah was making you tidy so you couldn't. I was watching the boys getting in sticks for the bonfire, and it wants plenty of sticks, Kitty, only it got so cold and it snowed so, they had to leave off. Never mind, Kitty, we'll go and see the bonfire tomorrow. So, if it is cold out, and Alice is watching boys gather sticks for tomorrow's bonfire, that can only mean that it is the day before Guy Fawkes Day, which is observed in England on November 5th, and involves big outdoor bonfires. Therefore, the day she visits Looking Glass Land is November 4th. Done and done. The date Alice visits Wonderland, I think, is not nearly so tidy. Most Alice aficionados believe that it is May 4th, with good reason. They think this because in Pig and Pepper, the sixth chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Alice decides to visit the March Hare instead of the Hatter. Her reasoning, I've seen Hatters before, she said to herself, the March Hare will be much the most interesting, and perhaps as this is May, it won't be raving mad at least not so mad as it was in March. Then in Chapter 7, a mad tea party, the Hatter, while lamenting his broken watch, asks Alice, what day of the month is it? Alice considered a little and then said, the 4th. May the 4th. Seems pretty cut and dry, right? So what's my problem with it? Both the month and the day of the month are revealed when Alice is already dreaming. Recall your own dreams for a minute. How often do you do the specifics of your dreams mirror real life? Something like, never? My dreams tend to follow a path like this. I can't find a college classroom. My brother and I play with stuffed animals in the basement of the house I grew up in, and then all of a sudden my best friend and I are running through a Las Vegas casino without our wallets. These vignettes, of course, span about 30 years of my actual life, If in the dream, a fellow college student or drunken casino patron were to ask me what day it is, my answer would most certainly not match what day it is in the real waking world. Now, it is true that the real Alice's birthday is May 4th. Alice Pleasance Little, who, as you know, was Lewis Carroll's inspiration for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and was also the recipient of the first version of the book, which is written down especially for her, was born on May 4th. 1852 as we've discussed carol stuffed the book with all sorts of references to people and places and things that alice would recognize i believe the birthday shout out is just one more example of that i don't believe it is to be taken literally that she was in wonderland on may 4th other tidbits that support my theory given alice's penchant for talking to herself nonstop, wouldn't she have mentioned that it was her birthday at some point in the book And, in the first chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, we learn it is a hot day in the real world. So hot that Alice doesn't feel like doing anything, and feels sleepy and stupid. The average May temperature in Oxford, where the real Alice lived, is only 52 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 11-ish Celsius. That hardly sounds hot enough to make one sleepy and stupid. And yes, you heard me, I checked the average monthly temperatures for Oxford, England. If you would still like to listen to a crazy person who checks historical temperatures in order to support her literary theories, join me next week when we will read Chapter 3 of Through the Looking Glass, entitled Looking Glass Insects. If you are enjoying the Alice's Everywhere podcast, please be a lamb and leave an incredibly positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. And thanks for listening. Talk soon.